0: You're listening to Aesthetically Speaking. On this podcast, we're talking about all things branding, logos, colors, fonts, and the strategy behind it all. It seems like these days it's easier than ever to build an audience, but harder than ever to stand out online. My name's Rebecca, and I'm a brand strategist and designer. I'm here with my sister, Abby, a lawyer who needs a creative outlet. Together, we're gonna talk about how to bring your brand to life.
1: Welcome back to Aesthetically Speaking
0: it's me you're (laughs) in my head that
1: was gonna be cuter and funnier this is rebecca just so everyone knows that failed that failed entry was rebecca rebecca did
0: i realized that like I i don't even know if we need to say this is rebecca and this is abby because our voices sound the same but maybe they sound different enough and people don't really know who's who so this is rebecca speaking
1: Your voice sounds a lot more clear in the podcast. I always sound a little bit like I have a sinus infection or have taken up smoking. Well, have you? One of those is true. (laughs) Yes, in the review comments, which one it is. (laughs) So what are we talking about today? So this week is part two in our Enneagram series. Yes. So last week we did Enneagram numbers one through four. Today Mm -hmm. we're going to finish it up with five through nine. Yes. Yes. If people like it, there's more aspects of the Enneagram we could talk about, but we'll at least finish the first nine numbers. So, yeah. we feel, you know, we cover everybody on the spectrum.
0: Yeah. I was thinking um, there's something that I use in branding that I may have talked about last week, I can't remember, called Archetypes, which is basically like you have like the Hero, the Outlaw, the Sage, the Rebel. And I was thinking like you could basically assign each of those to an Enneagram type Mm -hmm. And that could be another useful thing. I think Abby and I were talking about this a little bit before, because I had some experiences over the last couple of weeks where I was like, wait, am I feeling that way because I'm an Enneagram nine? And Abby basically confirmed like, yes, you are feeling that way because (laughs) you're an Enneagram nine. But I think my follow-up question to that, well, let me give a little bit of context. I had a situation where I hurt somebody's feelings or I could have potentially hurt somebody's feelings. I don't even know if I did, but I felt so bad about potentially hurting somebody's feelings and like them thinking poorly of me or thinking that I did it intentionally, like misunderstanding me. And I was like, is this an Enneagram thing? Like, am I feeling this way because I'm an Enneagram nine and my follow-up to be be clear, knowing your Enneagram number does not make you feel a certain way. Yeah, I know. I know. But like, is this feeling correlated or like attached to my Enneagram core desires or fears or whatever? And um, my follow-up to that is like, I was kind of like, yeah, I think it is like, I really want people to see me as good. I really want to be good. But like, then what? Like I, I know that I know my Enneagram type. How do I then feel better in that situation? What does the Enneagram tell me to do? Okay,
1: so to answer Rebecca's actual question, which is like, okay, knowing more about my behavior, my emotions, my reactions to things helps me identify my Enneagram number, then what does that actually mean for me to help change my life? I think recognition is like the first step to be like, oh, I have this pattern of behaviors. Right. And some of it is like, I am this way, who knows why. But some of it is like, oh, this is a pattern of behavior that is not serving me. It's like detrimental to my life. Right. And sometimes your feelings are valid. You can't always help if, if you hurt somebody's feelings. I'm not saying you shouldn't feel guilty. Sure. But there can be multiple motivations that something is coming from. So if you're if you're feeling so guilty that you're paralyzed that you can't make it right. Yes. Knowing that I have a tendency to feel overly guilty I think can help you the next time something happens. Yes. Or to say like, oh, when I'm overwhelmed, I can't even apologize to my own friends because right. I get so in my own head about things. Stuff like that I think is helpful. Yeah, once you've recognized the pattern, it still yeah. doesn't make it necessarily any easier to change your behavior, but if you're not a, if you're not self-aware at all, you won't change. Right. That makes total sense to me because
0: like I was saying, I kind of had a series of things that happened that all made me feel this way of like maybe being misunderstood, right? I'm putting that in quotes because it wasn't even that my friend got mad at me. It was like, oh, what if what I said inadvertently hurt her feelings? But the first time I was like sick to my stomach, like kind of that paralyzed feeling that you're describing. And then when it happened again in a different scenario, I was like, okay this is not a big deal. This person isn't thinking any less of me. It took me a second, but I did feel like I was able to maybe react a little bit less harshly to myself. Right. But I could see how with time and understanding and practice, you would get better at that. Yeah. Anyway, I I that's true. it was the first time that I was like, oh, understanding that I'm a type nine and I want to avoid confrontation and contention right. is helping me understand what's going on. I've never felt that way before.
1: Yeah. No, I think that's a good sign. Okay, so we'll jump back in where we left off last time. Yes. I did want to follow up. We ended with Type 4. Rebecca, did you find the company that you think is a Type 4? Oh, I was just going to see if I wrote it down. Because remember I said Apple? You said Apple. I think I said, I can't remember if I said Patagonia for Type 4. Or type. I think I said it for Type 1 and you said it for Type 4. Yeah. Well, one of
0: the brands that came to mind that I've always really liked is the Lego brand. Ooh, interesting. Um, Because they're like super creative driven. Yes. Always talking about being experimental. And they were talking about like Legos can be used for boys or girls way before that was like a popular thing to say. Right. Which I always thought was cool. I think what's hard is the individualist, like the type four Enneagram they're super sensitive and expressive, but their negative qualities are like, they can be kind of self-absorbed, kind of temperamental. And I think those yeah. are qualities that a lot of brands really want to avoid. Yes. Like a good brand does not want to be self-absorbed. They want to be like all about their community and their audience and their customers. Right. And so it's like, okay, what brands would be like totally self-absorbed? Or I'm
1: I'm trying to think of like the most... The most out there avant-garde fashion brand I do think there is an element that it's like it's very creative expressive very visual yes but also it's it's drawing you to them it's not serving you (laughs) right okay so moving on to type
0: five tell us a little bit about the qualities of an Enneagram type
1: five okay I will try to keep this short I am a type five. I identify as a type five. So they, I've heard them called the investigator uh-huh. or also the observer. Mm, okay. So this person, this is a thinking type for sure. Yeah. This is someone who wants to get to the bottom of something. Mm. So the stereotype here is like a kid that reads all the encyclopedias. Are you the
0: type of person where like when you read something, you have to understand it before you move on?
1: Uh, I don't know that I'm that way necessarily when i read like i speed read quite a bit yeah particularly if i'm reading something like a harry potter where it's like you you want to know what the plot is and so you're skipping dialogue and stuff like that right so this type tends to be they're trying to preserve themselves they have a self-preservation instinct usually okay and they feel like if i have enough information if i know enough if i'm prepared enough if i know enough facts Mm -hmm. then i can deal with the world Yes. This is
0: 100% you. Yes. Figuring out where to live, figuring out childcare, like I just need to get all the information I can.
1: Yep, I need I need to have all the information that I can. And I think these people especially are prone to noticing patterns in the world around them and there is an aspect of collecting, either like collecting information, collecting facts and tidbits and sometimes emotionally like hoarding if that makes sense. Okay. So yeah, and so I think this can manifest, manifest itself in a couple of ways. Some people very much take this down like the science-y route. hmm Like I wanted to know on a microscopic level all of the facts about this particular thing. Sure. I went to a talk once by the author Anthony Doerr who wrote All the Light We Cannot See. Uh-huh. Have you seen Cloud the trailer for that? No, I haven't. Oh my gosh, it looks so good. I bet it's going to be good. So like if you've read All the Light We Cannot See... It's very clear that his characters are, they're like collecting something. They're collecting shells, they're Mm -hmm. collecting keys, they collect maps. Yeah. They're constantly on the search for information as a way to deal with the uncertainty of the world. Right. But he, he himself in his talk talked about how he was obsessed with animals and insects and in explaining his process for writing these books where they're combining a lot of different things. It's history, it's architecture, it's blind person dealing with light on the visible spectrum and then light as a radio right He's also showing these photos where he's zooming in more and more mm. on like an animal and then the bird's wing and then the molecules. Yes and so I love and that 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 is a type 5 instinct. So not everybody takes it on like a molecular level this a sure. scientist would. Someone can do that with art or history or psychology, I think, is really appealing to a lot of people. If I can just understand scientifically why people are the way they are, then I can interact with the world.
0: Right. Well, I'm wondering if Cobb is this type because he, like, the reading thing is why I ask that. He has to read a lot of documentation
2: Mm -hmm. and he
0: physically cannot move on until he has, like, read it all. Yeah. He has to understand it all. He had like when he said you have to get to the bottom of it. I'm like, that's exactly how he feels about stuff.
1: Yeah, I think it's totally possible. So I would say as a as a caveat, I think a lot of people who grew up being readers, mm-hmm. like if you watched a lot of Arthur and had a library <laughs> card, you might you might type as a as a type five whether or not that's your instinct. Right. Because this is an emotional component, right? This is your right. Your emotional reaction. Right. The other thing that can happen is people assume that Type Fives are very introverted. So if you're someone who likes to like stay home with a good book, you might have a lot of the behaviors of a Type Five. Right. That's what I was going to say. Like Cobb does
0: some of those things, but I don't know if the motivation is the same.
1: Right. And so it, it it takes more. There's more to it than that. Yeah. For me, I definitely. Rebecca said this is like spot on for me. The thing that I think people who don't know me as well have a hard time with is I'm not super Mm science-y, and I am quite extroverted and social.
0: Yeah, you're definitely – like, I I think there's, like, a suspicious element of this where you have to get information before you trust somebody, but that's not necessarily the same thing as being an introvert.
1: Yeah, I think that gets misused a lot, and you can be be a very smart person, and – you can you know you can have a phd and not necessarily be the investigator you can be right. someone who has collected a lot of information in your field of expertise but that doesn't make you a type 5 right. if you don't also have you know this self preservation instinct focused on privacy on you know taking mm-hmm. care of your own needs and the the core fear of the investigator is being overwhelmed or useless oh yeah so something that they say about Type fives generally is that they're low energy. Someone described it as being like you're an iPhone that has only 30% battery, and so you're always trying to be efficient or allocate your resources. Mm, Interesting. (laughs) So I've noticed this for me. I think this would manifest differently for everybody. For me, if I have a task that I hate, I either am like blazing through it, Mm -hmm. not eating, drinking, or sleeping, and just like typing furiously. Uh huh. Or I'm procrastinating it a ton because I'm like, I know it's going to be so painful. And I just am going to, like, until I know how to do it, I'm not going to deal with it. Yes. So it's this dance between, like, complete flow and just, like, marathoning through a difficult task. Right. And also deep avoidance.
0: (laughs) Do you ever find yourself doing a task, but because you're at 30%, you're, like, slugging your way through it?
1: Absolutely. I just got in a fight with my husband like two days ago. <laughs> we're moving out of state. And so we're trying to get everything ready in our house. Mm-hmm. And so it was like you a fear Friday. being overwhelmed. I fear being overwhelmed. And also typically to type fives, if you are overwhelmed, you like shut down very hard. Yes. So we're, we like had all these tasks to do in the house. We had a limited amount of time in the weekend. So I got off work on Friday and I knew until we go to bed, Mm-hmm. We have all these household tasks we need to do. Yeah. And so my husband, he accused me of dilly-dallying.
0: <laughs> okay, this brings me to a very important caveat in this conversation. Yeah. What is the difference, in your opinion, between dilly-dallying and lollygagging? And do you prefer one over the other?
1: Dilly-dallying means like you're doing, you like can't be accused of not doing the task. You're doing the task. Okay. You are technically complying with the assignment, okay. but you're just making it difficult or slow. So like what I was doing is I was like, okay, if we're going to have to clean for two hours, I'm at least going to listen to something that I like and I'm going to do it at my own pace.
0: Right. Like your favorite podcast, Aesthetically Speaking.
1: My favorite that podcast, <laughs> Aesthetically Speaking. Do I listen to myself talk while I do the dishes? Sometimes. <laughs> anyway, so that, that's what I would cons- to answer both of your questions. Yes. That's what I would consider dilly-dallying. And that's like, that's a... I have to conserve my energy. And so I have to make this at least tolerable to myself. So I'm going to go a little bit slower. And like, Mm -hmm. and Ty was like, turn off that podcast. You're taking so long. Yes. lollygagging to answer your second question.
0: Yeah. What's lollygagging to you?
1: Lollygagging is full frolic and detour. Yes. Like you're not helping at all.
0: Yes. I 100% agree. The way that I view it is dilly dallying is like, in my mind, it's like doing something else when you're supposed to be doing something specific. Yes. Kind of taking too long. Lollygagging is when you're just full on out of this zone, out of this world, in your own mind, picking up potato bugs, having a great time. Like this is what my kids do. It's like they have no sense that there is any task to be completed at all. Yeah. They're just lollygagging their way to the car. And I'm like, get in the car. It's time to go.
1: (laughs) Yep. Yeah. I totally relate. Anyway, so that's that's a little bit about like my experience being a type 5. Mhm. The other thing I would say I I think being a type 5 is very helpful in my profession. Yeah. There is it's very document heavy so being able to absorb lots of information. Mhm. And the law is just like full of a lot of fun facts, so it makes <sighs> me feel like, "Oh, I'm going to have something fun to talk about at parties." Mhm. Now that I've like my dream job as a child was to be Harriet the spy. Oh, yes. And as a lawyer, I'm like, oh, my gosh, what I get to do all day is reread a trial transcript, which is basically like the diary of a person's worst day. And I'm like, yes, oh, I love this. So much.
0: Yes, that's so interesting. I don't even mind doc
1: review. Like When I do doc review, I'm like, you mean I get to read other people's emails and get paid? Oh, my gosh, that is so And I get to sort them?
0: That literally sounds like the worst thing ever. I'm like, You could not pay me to read through somebody else's dirty, rotten emails.
1: Oh my gosh. Some of them are juicy though.
0: I Yeah. I have heard that some of them are really juicy.
1: Approximately 1% are juicy. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) I bet a lot of lawyers could identify with some of the behaviors of type fives. Yeah. I was going to ask like, what kind of, what Enneagram types are type fives often friends with?
1: So this is a great question. I have noticed in my life, I typically have... Very close friends who are type twos. Okay, so I'm pretty sure our mom is a type two. They're called the helper. Uh-huh. This the is nurturer. the person who's
0: like, yeah, they they can be really generous and caring, but they also are people pleasing. That's one mm-hmm. of the things that maybe they struggle with.
1: Yeah. So like my my freshman roommate, Caitlin. Shout out to Caitlin. I was literally going to ask. I'm like, what type is Caitlin? What type is Caitlin? Caitlin is a two wing three, which is like so perfect for her. Yes. But I think so fives can sometimes feel like I I hesitate to say this because it's like such a stereotype. And like, I don't really think this on an emotional level. I sometimes do. Okay. I think I sense that like, I'm not, I'm not empathetic to really interact with the world. Like I'm the type of person, I don't just know how to react to a situation. If someone has a tragedy, Mm -hmm. it doesn't like come naturally to me to know what, is I want to know what's right to do.
2: (laughs) Mm -hmm.
1: And so like I will read a bunch of articles on like how to deal with grief because that's, I intellectualize it, right? That's a very Mm -hmm. type five thing.
2: Which doesn't mean that I'm
1: incapable of serving someone else or like being empathetic, but it's just like, I I think fives have kind of been trained to tamper down their emotions or they're afraid of dealing with emotions. So I don't trust that my instincts are correct.
0: Hmm. That's so interesting because you want to know what happens to me? Yeah, what happens to you? I have this innate ability to like know what the right thing to do is in those situations. Uh-huh. But I actually don't know how I feel. Interesting. Like I'm aware of what the right thing to do is, like what what would be most helpful to that individual, but I don't actually know how I feel about it. Like I can't intellectualize it at all. I can only feel it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of the opposite.
0: Yeah, it's like so great, but I often feel like I am just this chameleon who like doesn't have a color of their own.
1: So we will get to this later, but what they say about type nines is that they merge. They tend to merge with other types. Yes. Yeah. That
0: Literally, that is exactly. And I'm like, am I a bad person? Like, am I manipulating people? Nope. Because I'm, but it's like my way of being compassionate is like becoming them.
1: Yeah. And that's super, super common. Yeah, we will
0: we will address this. That is fascinating. I've literally I've never even said that because I'm like, that is the weirdest thing. But I I genuinely lots of people feel
1: that way, right? Yeah. Oh, okay. This is so cool. So what I just to wrap up, what I was gonna say is I think. Oh, yeah, what were you gonna say about Caitlin? I think a part of me senses like people who Caitlin is totally an empath, Mm
2: -hmm. incredible
1: people skills, and just like a very warm person. Yeah. Warm and generous and funny. And so I can sense that that's something that like I lack or
2: mm-hmm. that I
1: want and need in my life, but don't just, I don't just know how to be that way Yeah, until I've seen it in somebody else. And so I tend to have a lot of friends who are type twos. Mm-hmm. Initially, like until my mid twenties, I dated a lot of other people who were type fives. Interesting. I think because we would have this like intellectual connection.
0: I can totally see that in some of the guys you dated.
1: Yeah. And so it would be like, oh, you tell me all the facts that you know, and I'll tell you all the facts that I know. And then we'll both be smart. And it's like, in the end, that works for a lot of people. My friend Julia mm-hmm. is also a type five. And so okay. we can just like talk for hours and like analyze something to death. Yes. Which is very, very fun. But I think in a romantic relationship, ultimately, I was dating a lot of people who like wanted to pick my brain, but didn't want to pick me as a person. Yes. And vice yes. versa. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you need some of that emotional
1: stuff, too. Right. And I I don't think I'm a robot, although I did have a violin teacher who compared me to the Data, who is like a robot from Star Trek. What? Jack Ashton was like, you're just like this smart girl, but you're just like Data from Star Trek. You need to like feel a little bit more. That is so funny. Which like deeply hurt my feelings at the time.
0: <laughs> yes, I totally see that. I'm like, I'm offended for you now.
1: Yeah, I don't think it makes me like a bad friend or like emotionally crippled that I cannot interact with the world. But it is, I sometimes internally feel that way. And so I gravitate towards people that are very warm and tend to be type 2s.
0: I can totally see that. Also, not that this matters, but I'm like, listeners, don't take away that Abby is a robot. That like you don't have feelings and you're just intellectual because that's not true either. Like, no, no. Like you can, you can be very sensitive and very compassionate. It's just what's behind it, you know?
1: Yeah. I have two things to add. And then I promise we can move on. One is that I think um, a misconception about type fives is that they don't have any feelings. Uh Uh-huh. So in the, in the Myers-Briggs category, I am an F, like I am a feeling type. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. But what can happen either by acculturation or just by habit over time Type fives either don't trust their feelings or don't know how to display them. Mm. And so it can become something where they're worried that if they share their their feelings, their needs won't be met. Yeah. And it can sometimes become a vicious cycle because they are usually hyper productive, mm-hmm. usually accomplished. Like if they're if they're interested in something and they're pursuing it, they spend right. a lot of time doing that. They seem very competent and high functioning. Yeah. So I think you can see, like, even in our family, I think people would assume that, like, oh, Abby doesn't get upset and she's, like, fine all the time. Yes. Which is is kind of this facade that, like, oh, because I am high-functioning and I can intellectualize and work through these problems, people sometimes don't respond with as much empathy.
0: Right. And so I also right. don't get
1: perceived and I don't feel comfortable being as emotional. Right. Which feeds into the cycle.
0: Yes, I can totally see that. It's super interesting because I'm just looking at, I have this document where on the left side, I have the Enneagram types and on the right side, I have like what I would use for their branding, but I would totally change what I'm thinking of after talking to you about it because I feel like I have such a better understanding of it. I feel like if I was going to create the visual brand for a type five investigator Enneagram, I would A, do something that feels a little bit like intellectual and academic. Yes. So some kind of like serif font with like, like it would have details. There would be, it'd be the kind of logo where like the more you look at it, the more you can pull out of it. So I would definitely do something where like, you know, you've seen this before where it's like a flame, but the flame also makes an S shape. Yes. (laughs) And it's for like a smoke store or something like that
1: where it a would door have where they sell smoke uh,
0: <laughs> i meant like where they sell cigarettes like i don't even know if that's like a, a thing, smoke but...
1: shop and a smoke store just sound very different to me whatever also, sorry my voice cracked <laughs> <laughs> a smoke store
0: <laughs> a barbecue shop then let's say it's a barbecue shop where they sell grills and things
1: grills and things would be a great name <laughs> it sounds like it's straight out of parks and rec
0: we will put that in one of our next branding challenges But it would be something where it's like there's a hidden shape within the design, right? Yes. Something that feels kind of like a secret, like, oh, if you don't know it's there, you might not even realize it. And definitely like something with details. And I do think I would do something like a little bit intense to capture kind of that like high functioning. Like it would be, I'm imagining the letters all kind of close together creating okay. this shape all with, with the word yeah. kind of thing, you know, or maybe it's like you use a super bold color. Yeah. but Something that feels a little bit like that. What were you saying? Like the, the high functioning, like manic productivity that you yes. can have when you're like, <laughs> when you've got it, you know? Right. So I could like totally see that working in terms of brands that I think would be type fives. Well, I would, first I would ask you, what brands do you identify with oh.
1: as a type five? The number one is Duck DuckDuckGo Duck Go, duck, duck, go duck,
0: is the five brands. You would like Duck, duck Go. First I of all, even... Duck, duck go is
1: my homepage. So
0: oh my gosh. I don't even want to give Duck, duck go any airtime on this podcast because <laughs> I hate their branding. I mean, I like I like their brand, like their message. Yeah. I hate the visuals.
1: You don't like the duck? No. <laughs> no i also think the name the name needs to be updated to reflect what they really what they really are is they are a non a non-exploitative non-surveillance-based search engine right Right. that's that's what we all want we all want to look at the internet without having google have access to our every thought desire whim
0: i mean i personally don't care but i understand that that's important to other people
1: Right. Obviously it's not that (laughs) important because DuckDuckGo does not have Google status, but to people to to people for whom like my most valuable thing is my thoughts, my independent thoughts Mm -hmm. and my work and these facts and patterns that I've collected over years and years. That's Mm -hmm. my way of processing the world. Yeah, I'm not gonna give that to Google for free. I mean, when you
0: say it like that, yeah, it sounds really good to like keep my thoughts to myself or whatever, but yeah. If okay, if I was rebranding DuckDuckGo. There's two directions that you could take it that are opposite. And so I would be super curious to know like who their target market is in terms of demographics, like men, women, age, all that stuff.
1: Yeah. Because
0: on the one hand, I could see you going with a like security vibe where you have like dark colors, harsh angles. You have a privacy lock or like an eye (laughs) with like a slash through it as the logo. Like you're going hardcore on like you are protected. When you use this, and you'd obviously have to change the name DuckDuckGo because that's just so stupid. Or, and this is the direction that I like more, you go really hard into the freedom that comes when you're not worried about internet surveillance.
2: So Mm. it's like
0: all white, light gray, light blue. And you use some kind of cloud icon that's like internet browsing, free from distractions surveillance tracking advertisements and it's like when you use it's like a sigh of relief yes yeah it's a sigh of relief like you don't have to worry about it
1: rebecca you shouldn't give this you shouldn't get these tips away for free <laughs> honestly <laughs> Duct, i don't go call us seriously the other I, don't the use other a duck brain, as your mascot i feel like they just never moved beyond ask Jeeves. right is it that what is that G's. what they started as No, no, no. I just mean in the era when it was like, there's so many search engines available. Yes. One has a butler, one has a duck.
0: Yes. Well, I feel like the internet as a whole, when it started, was super kitschy. It was so fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah,
0: and like everything was quirky and they were like, this is just a silly little thing. And then all of a sudden it became like big tech Yeah, and just like all the fun got taken out of it, you know, but they need to get with the times.
1: Okay, so two things Two things I wanted to say. One is, if you, like, are interested in the infrastructure of search and mm-hmm. data and all that stuff, the one of the best books I've read in the past five years is called The Age of Surveillance Capitalism.
2: Okay, I Shoshana remember you talking Zobar. to me about this
1: one. And I think she was a consultant on The Social Dilemma as well. Okay. Like, she is a genius. She's a Harvard professor. She's, like, dedicated 10 years of her life to this, like, in-depth research of the ecosystem of big tech companies. Anyway, it's it's very dense, and there are parts of it that even are so theoretical that I skimmed them, or some I read and came back to later. But like her over, and you're hearing
0: that from a Type Five, so you know it's dense.
1: You know it's dense, but she even has helpful diagrams about like this is where your data is going, and this is how they're circling back.
2: You know, this is the ecosystem that
1: they're going into, as if it's a big machine, which I think you would really like. Yeah, that's super interesting. The other company that I think is like an obvious fit for Type Five is wikipedia oh yes like there the answer is out there but also like it should be immediately accessible when you see an actor in the movie and you know you've seen him before Mm -hmm. someone has cataloged it and someone has identified and like put everything there for at your fingertips so you can find it quickly and know and have certainty
0: (laughs) i think wikipedia is one of the coolest parts of the internet like honestly it really is also when I get asked to donate to Wikipedia, I donate the first time. You really? do not have to ask me twice. I'm like, I use Wikipedia almost every single day, and like, I really yeah. believe in their mission. I'm like, you got my five dollars, Jimmy, from Wikipedia.
1: <laughs> That's good for you. I uh, I don't do that. I, I will admit, <laughs> I don't really donate to. Actually, I will tell that there is there is an organization that I'm not ashamed to have donated. And it will fit in later in the podcast. Can't wait to hear it. Can't wait to hear it. better be really good. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't say that like, Oh,
0: I'm a good person. I don't to Wikipedia. It's more of like a personality thing. Like, if I know that I'm going to do something, I just do it right away.
1: I also think you just are more, you have more of an abundance mindset. So like, if you find value in something, you contribute to it. Oh, yeah.
0: Like every and- time I read an article on like the Guardian or something, and it will say like, Hey, this is an independent article, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you're right. I do believe in the value of this. And
1: I donate. Interesting. I've been wondering how all these places make money. And now I know Rebecca is funding them personally. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I mean, obviously, I don't
0: just have unlimited money to donate to unlimited causes. But as a general rule, if I believe in the principles of something, I will give them my money.
1: Yeah. And not to make everything about the Enneagram, I do think there is something about i i do have a like an emotional and sometimes financial sense that like there's not enough to go around Mm -hmm. either of my energy or time or emotions or money so i think that ties back in yeah i do think we should move on to type six just so we we don't spend the whole time talking about type five
0: hey i think it's fine to spend the most time on our personality types you want to talk about your personality
1: type you get on the podcast yeah we'll talk about it we'll talk we'll talk to you (laughs) okay so our two fans (laughs)
0: So tell us about type six.
1: So type six is called the loyalist. Okay. And these people are really loyal friends. They are committed. They are oriented towards security and safety.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: I saw a lot of you in this, which makes sense because this is your wing type, right? right?
1: Yeah. So five is between four and six and you Mm -hmm. rely on your wings for a lot of things. So where type five tries to seek security by having the most information and being very competent, mm-hmm. type six has what, what they call an inner committee. Okay. So imagine kind of like Kronk from the Emperor's New Groove, uh huh, but in a less binary sense that they have, like when they're trying to make a decision, they're thinking about it from 360 degrees. Mm. And so they're going through all of the pros and cons and they're looking at... The, have you ever played the survival game Worst Case Scenario? Yes. Like that game was written by a type six because someone was like, you might get bitten by a shark. And I think you should know what you're supposed to do. Interesting. So these people tend to, they're deep thinkers. They have thought through many things. Mm-hmm. They are a little bit suspicious or they can suspect that people have ulterior motives because they're always considering all the possibilities. Yeah they're really, really good friends. Mm-hmm. They're engaging, responsible citizens. And they they can come across as anxious or paranoid, but it is just because they are, they're constantly having this inner dialogue to try and do the right thing. Mm-hmm. I also wanted to note some people who have clinical anxiety uh-huh. can type as a type six because they're like, yeah, I have those thoughts. Yeah. And I do think there is a difference between having situational intrusive thoughts. Right. Which like any person can have, but particularly if you have real anxiety. Yeah. And having the emotional component of this inner dialogue or going through lots of choices and situations. So that's something to be aware of if you feel like, yes, like this is me in a certain mood, or Mm -hmm. when I'm feeling a certain way, or at times in my life I have been this way it doesn't automatically make you a type 6. Yeah. It's um, also
0: just tricky like at different times in my life when i've struggled with anxiety or depression, it is hard to separate what is me and what is this mental illness part of me. Yes. Yeah. Like and and that is just kind of frustrating and difficult. Right. What so would think- you say is like the main thing that they want? Is it just like like emotional
1: security? it's to feel to feel safe in the world, to know that like the mm. people that they're with aren't going to betray them. Mm. You know that they can, they have the resources that they need to keep going. Yeah. And to feel valued like they are very relational focused.
2: i mm-hmm.
1: I'm trying to think, I think there was another name for them that I saw somewhere on the internet. So I'm going to see if I can find that really quick. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, the other one was the skeptic,
0: oh, yes, I can one hundred percent see that because i I see that in you not so much well somewhat skeptical, but like being suspicious of people, yes, like having to build that emotional trust with somebody before you're like, yes, I will let you babysit or like do and do a nice thing for me, you know,
1: right. and the the opposite side of that level of skepticism is that they also they hope for and expect the best in people, right? Right. So that they they're looking from this 360 degree view towards all of their problems or like people that they're encountering. And at one end it is like I am deeply suspicious of human nature, but it also is like I have high expectations. Like I believe that if I work through these problems systematically, Mm -hmm. if I think about everything, eventually I will find people that I can trust. And then I will, you know, I will hold to those people and have like lifelong commitment with them. Right. Well, I feel
0: like this fits in perfectly with the brand that I pegged for the loyalist, which is Volvo. Okay. (laughs) Because when they rank really, really highly for safety ratings, not because they actually are the safest. I mean, I think they are like one of the safest cars, but that's the perception that they have. Yeah. Like if you want a safe, reliable, like take care of you car, you get a Volvo.
1: Yeah. I was thinking also – this is so funny. Rebecca and I did not pre-plan this, but the brand Uh that I was thinking of was the Instagram account Safe in the Seat. Oh, yes. Which is – it's Like car seat safety. It's car seat safety and information for parents, but it is totally like, here's all of the things you need to know and all of the ways not to put in a car seat. Uh Uh-huh. And sometimes I find it actually pretty triggering. Like they – The account advertised for this tool to, like, break a car window if there's a baby trapped inside. Uh Uh-huh. And there was, like, a little asterisk at the bottom that was, like, check the good Samaritan laws in your state. And I was, like, girl, I know you're trying to help save babies' lives, but, like, if somebody broke my car window because they thought a child was trapped in there, (laughs) that person would be sued so quickly. Well, you're taking I, something that is like this emotional component of like something is wrong. Like I have to right. act. I have to fix the problem. And you're actually just like causing property damage. And also, is the shattered glass gonna help the trapped baby?
0: Right. I feel like kind of the dark side of this brand is that they can be fear-mongering. Yes. If you don't have a car that's safe or if you don't buckle your kid in the car seat correctly, like they will die. Yes. That's why I can't. I really like Safe in the Seat, but I can't follow them because I'm like, I can't be so anxious about driving my kids everywhere. Like, this right. is a part of my life that I have to. And I'm like, I follow the guidelines, you know, but I have to be able to live my life without stressing out about it so much.
1: Yeah. The other one that I thought of was Qualtrics, honestly. Because mm. the one component of the Loyalist is that they... Ask a lot of questions when they're making decisions. And I thought a survey company might actually fit that quite nicely.
0: Yeah, I think a survey company could fit that really nicely. I also feel like Qualtrics kind of fits into maybe like the helper, like type two or type three. Interesting. Because in terms of like what the motivation is, because Qualtrics is all about like getting. All the information you can so that you can make the best decisions for your company or for your employees or for your competitors, or, you know, I feel right. like there's an element of that in their brand that's really working for them. In terms of like what I would do if I was creating the visual branding for a type six, the loyalist Enneagram, you want to create like that sense of safety. So yeah. part of that is like you want something that feels balanced. I would maybe do something that's like calm colors, something even like a dark navy blue. I wouldn't use any like red, orange, yellow, like anything that feels too out there. You want it to feel super safe, super grounded. And then I would do something like connected or interlocking in some way. Like I thought of the Volvo logo, how it's like, Mm. has the interlocking shapes. And it's also like moving forward, right? Like they're trying to say like, you know we build great cars we're cutting edge blah 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 but i think that gives you a sense of like oh these things are these things are together they're safe they're connected to each other um or like a stacked kind of thing yeah that would kind of be the direction that i would look at and depending on the brand i'm trying to think of what safe in the seats brand looks like right now i don't know but i follow another car account that i really like is the car mom And Hmm. she is the one that recommended Arkea Carnival. So she should really be getting a commission for that because I would not have even looked at that car without following her on Instagram. Interesting. But her logo has, it's like a Venn diagram. And then one of them is a car and one of them is a baby bottle because her thing is like she does car reviews for families. Yeah. Anyway, and I think that works pretty well. I feel like it's a little bit obvious. Like it doesn't. I don't think your logo always has to have an icon of what you do in order to be a good logo, but I do think it gives you this sense of, like, safety and security and, and like, straightforwardness, you know? Yeah. It feels like a responsible brand in my mind. Yes. Okay, should we talk about Type 7?
1: Yeah, so Type 7 is called The Enthusiast.
0: I'm really excited to talk about this
1: one. Yeah, these people, they're... I would say their, their core motivation is seeking stimulation. So they want mm. new experiences. They want to have fun. They try lots of different things. They dabble. They can be a little bit distractible or scattered. Mm-hmm. Because they're always chasing the next thing. And they want to avoid feeling pain or negative emotion, basically, at all costs.
2: Mm. So these people,
1: these can encompass like adrenaline junkies, uh-huh. right? People chasing that next high. Also people, I think the in the seven deadly sins model, they're Uh they're like gluttons, right? They're always chasing pleasure. Yes. So yeah, these people tend to be very busy The people that a lot of times highly accomplished.
0: Oh, see, that's interesting because I was gonna say the people that I'm thinking of are the type where like they always seem to be getting a new job.
1: I think, yeah, that's part of it.
0: Like every time you talk to them, they're like, Well, I didn't like that job and I found a new job. And I'm like, Oh, okay. When I'm like, it's so much work to find a new job. Just,
1: just stay at the old one. Just keep right. plugging along, right? Like that's my personality. Like just do it till till you die, you know? Right. So I I have some close friends who are type sevens, and what I have learned is, like, they want to take action on something. Mm-hmm. So they don't usually want to say, "Oh, like here's all the problems going on in America today." Here's, right. like, all the reasons why you shouldn't grow a lawn and why you shouldn't drive a car. Right. They're really interested in solutions. So if you come mm-hmm. and you say, hey, I've done all of this research that lawns are bad, so here's zero escaping and how it works. Yeah. Or Elon Musk is going to drill a tunnel under Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> like, maybe they don't care as much about the quality of the response, but, like, right. they are solutions oriented because they don't want to dwell in this negative emotion.
0: Mm, I can totally see that. It's interesting to me that this type is next to type six, which is like more anxious, responsible, like worried about cautious.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: I would imagine that feels a little bit frustrating to these people.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So I think these people, they can come across in like the stereotypical sense as a little bit shallow or like flaky. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there, there is like an aspect of that if you are always looking for something else. But I think it comes from a place of really wanting to experience life to the fullest. Yeah. And they can bring a lot of other types out of their shells.
0: Mm -hmm. This actually, so I feel like a lot of my clients fall into this category.
1: I think so too. I was thinking about people who rebrand a
2: lot.
0: Yes. Yeah. Because a lot of times, you know, my clients come to me and they feel like they have 50 bazillion ideas. And they have no idea how to make all of that cohesive into their brand. And I feel like I'm able to do that, even though that's never really been me. Like I've never been the person that has like so many ideas all the time. Like I always joke with my client, Amber Smith. She's a coach and she will like create, launch, sign clients into a program while I'm still like twiddling my thumbs on what my next project should be.
1: Yes, that's a very type seven. Like
0: she just moves really, really quickly. And she's I feel like she's really mastered like having lots of ideas and also executing on them. I think right. one of the I don't is this an, an Enneagram thing or a human design thing to say, like the shadow side? That's the phrase that, that keeps coming to mind.
1: There's like an aspect of that in every personality type. Okay, I
0: yeah. Think. Um, because I feel like the shadow side to this is that you have so many ideas that like you don't end up doing anything. Yes. You know, or it's like you you kind of promote one offer and then you get tired and you move on to the next thing before you've like really done a good job of selling it and marketing it. Right. And I don't feel like Amber falls in that category, but it's also interesting because her brand is much less like fun looking than other clients that I've had in this style. Like, I think she definitely leans more towards just like powerful, authoritative there's still, like, a creative aspect to it. Yeah. But, like, we have dark blue, like, a teal color. There is more color in her brand, though, than, like, maybe she would have chosen on her own, though. Yeah. We did, like, a light lavender and a light green. I feel like it all kind of works together, but it, does, it doesn't feel super – I would say maybe it feels busy, but it doesn't feel, like, scattered. It feels yes. really cohesive. I mean, that's yeah. kind of just the point of making a brand in general. But the example, like the person that came or the brand that came to mind when I was thinking about the enthusiast, I was like, oh, Jen Cinchero, the you are a bad A books. Yeah. I was like, that is type seven through and through. It's like I want it to be fun. I want to enjoy it. And I and and I don't want to I don't want to experience any pain or suffering along the way. Yes.
1: Yeah. I thought about this a little differently. The brands that I think cater to type sevens. Oh yeah, yeah. One is Hobby Lobby. Oh. Anything you want to do, you can find it at Hobby Lobby. You are like, I want orange candles that are also uh-huh. corkscrews. Hobby Lobby's like, I got you. And they're on sale. <laughs> and the other one is REI, right? Like mm. every every tough mutter, oh, rock yeah. climbing, mountain biking. Uh-huh thing you want and every gadget that would make it just like a little bit better and a little bit more fun. REI's is like, oh yeah, we got that. And it costs
0: $5,000. <laughs> I feel like YouTube in a lot of ways is this type or caters to this type. Yes. And it's in a digital sense, right? So they're not the ones doing the fun stuff, but like anything you want to learn, anything you want to experience, constant stimulation, like it's all here. It's all on YouTube. Yes. You know? Yeah. Which makes sense. Like I said, oh, like what would I do visually? I'm like, I would for sure do like bold, bright colors. I mean, YouTube is more monochromatic, but like I would basically have one signature color and then like some supporting colors. Yeah. So like when I think of Jen Chero and like you are a bad day, it's like that bright yellow cover. Yes. Like it's immediately in your mind what you see. Even REI, I'm like, it's like that dark, dark greenish black. Yes, with the REI and the forest tree, like I can see it so perfectly. Yeah, you know. Yep. What would you say? What is the enthusiast? What are they afraid of?
1: I think they are. Are they afraid, are of afraid of being bored? Being bored, yeah, okay. and being being uninteresting or being bogged down by negativity mm-hmm. and like commitments, sameness, drudgery.
0: Yeah. yeah. I think
1: a lot of going
0: back to like my clients, I'm like, I think the enthusiasts make really great CEOs. Interesting.
1: I think they're great leaders.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Really good leaders. But I think sometimes it's hard to get to that point because in order for you to be a CEO, sometimes you have to do like the mundane stuff.
1: Right. You got to, you got to occasionally call your accountant back. and. Right.
0: So I think like a lot of my clients really benefit from having me, especially like my creative partnership clients, where it's like, we have basically a retainer going
2: like that's one of my favorite
0: things to offer is basically for these people who are like i just want to know that whatever idea i have you can execute on it for me i mm. think like that's a really valuable thing for a type seven to have
1: yeah i like that i think that's good should we move on to type eight yes okay so type eight is called the challenger and this is someone who is very focused on standing up for what they believe in Mm-hmm. So they are very moral in that sense. And in that way, they have some things in common with a type one who's the perfectionist. Yeah. But the type one, I think, is much more internal, like, focused on them being Uh correct and being right. Yeah. We we had struggled to come up with some examples for type one. But Rebecca, if you remember from the Poisonwood Bible, like, the dad of the Poisonwood Bible. Oh, yes. Like, he's a type one. Like, he wants to do what's right, but it's also only focused on, like, I will get to heaven. Right. And right. he's obviously a negative version yeah. adaptation of this type one. Type right. eight is very focused also on standing up for the powerless. Mm. So they are powerful. They defy authority. They can be dominating, but it also is like, I'm going to stand up like a voice for the voiceless.
0: Yes. Fight
1: for those that can't fight for themselves. Yes. And and they're not afraid of being decisive, being confrontational taking someone down you know that they're gonna fight the good fight
0: yes okay you want to know what i i had this super interesting experience when i went to girls camp for our church last week that's making me realize that that is my enneagram type (laughs) because because i feel like i feel so much conflict with this type Mm -hmm. it's like on the one hand i want to like be confrontational and decisive. And at the same time, I just want to keep the peace. Yes. So like, this is the dumbest example, but I'm at this girl's camp and there's all of these snacks on the table. And they said like, please take one or two snacks. You know, we're doing all kinds of things like kayaking and archery and stuff. And so they wanted girls to keep their energy up. And I observed this group of girls and they were all taking not just one or two or even three or four snacks. They were all taking like eight to 10 snacks. (laughs) And I'm just like, if you do that, there's not going to be any for the rest of us, but I don't say anything. And I was literally like at war with myself because I was so bugged by them doing that and wanted them to like do the right thing and wanted to confront them. But at the same time, my type nine, that's like easygoing, it's no big deal. Yes. Yes. Like I, t- I'm like I remember being 12 years old and taking way more snacks than was maybe considerate. Like it's fine, right. and was like, do I say something? Do I not say something? Like should I tell one of the other leaders? Like hey, these girls are taking more than their fair share. You're gonna narc on them
1: when you are a leader, and you could
0: just. I know, I know. Like I could just say something. Heaven forbid. That cracks me up. Anyway, Were you gonna say anything else about like what? What the type I was gonna say is. is?
1: Because they are very powerful, and mm-hmm. I think they can be stereotyped as, like, they get super angry, mm-hmm. these people have rage, like, they have no emotions, and I don't think that's accurate. Yeah. Their instinct is, like, I want to be in control of my environment, mm-hmm. and I, I don't want to be in a position where I don't have any power, so they're compensating for that.
2: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right, so
1: a person who's a type 8 might not be, like, someone who does crossfit and is like physically ready to get in an altercation or he's going to like yell at the teacher but it's that instinct of i don't want to be powerless and so i need to assert myself Mm -hmm. and that is not necessarily going to demonstrate itself in someone that is like hulking raging all the time
0: (laughs) right right well it's interesting because the example that i came up with originally when i was like looking through these types for the challenger was harley davidson interesting okay Which is a little bit like rugged, rebel, nobody can tell me what to do, I'm in charge. But then as we've been talking about it, I'm like, no, it would actually be, is it Hells Angels? That's the nonprofit group? Hells Angels is a motorcycle, it's a biker club. (laughs) Okay, but what's the group? It's like, it's like Bikers Against Child Abuse or something. That could be it. Anyway, but that's like their whole thing. Like they have this tough guy image but yeah. actually they ride around the country and raise money to prevent child abuse.
1: Yeah. I was thinking of people that I know that are type eights. I know some public defenders who feel very strongly about it. I could totally see that. And feel very called to this type of work. Uh huh. Um, and I do think people who are type eights are drawn towards work that represents their values. But I think yeah. that the equal justice initiative, mm-hmm. which does like indigent defense, Yeah. You know, works a lot with people who are in poverty, suffering Mm -hmm. from racial discrimination, and all of those things to try and, like, get innocent people out of jail. That's a very type 8 instinct.
0: Yes. I was going to say the Innocence Project, Mm -hmm. which is another brand that I really believe in. Yeah. Like, representing people who have been, who are innocent or could be innocent, um, I think would be a good fit for this brand
1: we're not afraid to take on the most difficult decisions and the people with the most serious crimes. Right. Cool. We'll do it. We'll figure it out. Yes. If it's the right thing to do, we'll do it.
0: Yes. Well, and one of the things that I like about their brand, visually, I should pull it up.
1: For our listeners,
0: Rebecca is Googling the Innocence Project. (laughs) But one thing that I like about them is I feel like there's a lot of directions that you could go with the name of Innocence Project. Yeah. Like one of the things that would come to my mind is like light blue, this like purity kind of vibe. Yeah.
2: Where it's like
0: I didn't do anything wrong. But because what they're doing is they're taking on work of people who have been like misrepresented or who have been jailed illegally or whatever it's called, they have like a slightly grittier look. Yeah. Anyway, I think they're really cool. They have, and they do a lot of, more techie stuff too like that's how they get publicity is online so i feel like that's a really good example of that type yeah do you think any of our siblings are type 8s um
1: off the top of my head i don't think so but it wouldn't it wouldn't super surprise me i could see that like i could see jonathan as a type 8 i could see eliza as a type 8 yeah because i was kind of thinking like I wonder if a journalist
0: would be a type 8. Like I'm sure they have a lot of type 5 tendencies. Mhm. But yeah, thinking about Eliza, I wonder if being a reporter, like somebody who's telling the stories and somebody who's like representing people on air, like their image, I wonder if that would align with a type 8.
1: Yeah, I think it I think it definitely could. And there's there's an aspect of control like being able to control the narrative. Right. That I think could totally play into that. Yeah. Okay. So, oh wait, what was I going to say about visually?
0: Okay. Well, if I was going to brand a type eight brand, I said complementary colors. And what I mean by that is I would use a color palette where it's like your colors are opposite each other on the color wheel. Okay. Where you're kind of highlighting some kind of conflict, Mm. like they're meeting together, some kind of tension. And I would also use a combination of like sharper angles And then moving towards like a common goal because these people, like, they don't just want to be powerful for the sake of being powerful. Like they want to move things forward. Yeah. So I would do something that felt like they were decisive and confrontational, but also moving things forward. Yeah, I like that. Okay. Now, last the best of all the game, because this is my type (laughs) that I have
1: been waiting to talk about. Rebecca is only now discovering who she really is through this podcast. That is literally how I feel. Okay, so type nine is called the peacemaker. And type nines tend to be easygoing, self-deprecating sometimes, uh, very comfortable. (laughs) Self-deprecating? Very agreeable, easy to get along with. And the word that comes to my mind, I may have already said this, but is like comfort. Mm -hmm. like these people don't want to go out of their comfort zone they don't want to disrupt somebody else being comfortable yes because of that they it's said that type nines can tend to merge into who they are with
0: yes this is the chameleon thing i was talking about right
1: so it's like it's like being a chameleon so you can either adopt the hobbies of who you're with or Mm -hmm. like when you're exposed to the values of someone else you can adopt them as your own Mm -hmm. but it can sometimes make you feel unmoored from your true self like like you were saying what do i really feel about this situation i know how yes. i'm acting what yes. do i really feel
0: yes and it's this weird thing where it's like i'm not just saying that i agree with you or like saying that i like what you like in the moment that we're talking i genuinely feel the same way that you do
1: yes like I'm i like, have adop- i have become that i am that yes <laughs> yes exactly and
0: i honestly feel like it makes me a good brand strategist because when i'm talking to my clients and they're like explaining something. I'm like, oh, you don't have to explain it. Like, I get it. Yeah, like I, I 100% understand what you're saying because mm-hmm. I, I feel it for myself. I'm not like, and tell me what that feels like. I just don't get it. I'm like, no, I know exactly what that feels like because I, I can like intuit it from you.
1: Right. So the. The downside of that, or something that can be reactionary to that, yeah, because that's a skill that nines have, right? That they right. can be so empathetic that they can adopt the viewpoint of someone else and feel exactly what they are feeling, right? But it's kind of like the the obliger rebellion that Gretchen Rubin talks about in her uh-huh. book the Four Tendencies. Uh-huh. I do think maybe we should do that in a future episode.
0: <laughs> yes,
1: but that that there's resentment there because either people don't recognize the EDU are independent from them yes. or you you resent yourself for not standing up for maybe what you oh, think on gosh. your own, or you can have even problems identifying what you dream. Yes.
0: From. Yes. Like literally all three of those. I'm like, yeah, sometimes I'm like, I, I'm i mad at myself for not saying what I think, but then I'm also like, I don't actually know what I think.
1: Right. And I, had a cl- I had a close friend a couple of years ago. We were doing one of those One of those games where you assign everybody a character from a book or a movie, right? Uh So the the people who have the most obvious personality traits or flaws, it's easy to identify who they fit with. Right. And in multiple iterations, this one friend, it was like, we couldn't quite figure out who she was. Yeah. And I could tell that she was getting really, really frustrated by it. And later on, we talked about it and she is a type nine. And I was Mm -hmm. like, this makes total sense to me. Everybody who's in this friend group, you're their favorite. Yeah. And they trust you, they feel validated by you. They mm-hmm. want to talk to you more than other people. But like it is hard to pin you down. Yes. And I can see how that would be like deeply frustrating to her when she's like, I'm just as smart and interesting as the rest of you. Why can't you figure me out?
0: Yes. Sometimes it feels like like people don't know me.
1: Yes. A
0: little bit. And I'm like, I don't know why. But then at the same time, I'm like, sometimes I don't even feel like I know myself. Right. You know.
1: Um, Okay, anything else about this type? Anything else about type nines? Um, The other thing I was going to say is, in my experience, the people who I know who are type nines also tend to have, I don't know why this is, but it just is a consistent thing that people tend to have a very spiritual side. Oh, interesting. So I think part of that is they're very accepting of forces in the universe. They're accepting of people who have really big personalities. Mm Mm-hmm. And they're unlike type eight, who is going to challenge the system and try to break it down and deconstruct it. Type nines, I think, are just more accepting of the way things are. Yes. And some of that is I think they they just accept that there are forces in the universe that can't be explained. Yeah. So I know many of them are into like either traditional spirituality, very active in a church. Uh-huh. Some of them are just kind of very woo-woo. Yeah. Like I'm very into life coaching or human design. Yeah. And I think that is, that is an aspect of them just being very open and accepting. Yeah. And, and accepting that there are things in the, in the universe that cannot be explained. hmm. Do you think it's more like a,
0: because I definitely identify with that. I and mean, I identify with two pieces of that. One is like a spirituality, like understanding the soul my soul, yeah. the soul of the universe, the purpose of the universe, like kind of that deep thinking mm-hmm. aspect. But then there's also the aspect of personal development. Yeah. Do you think like both of those can be type nine or is there one or the other that is stronger?
1: I think they both can. I think I'm trying to think about it I because type nines are, are complacent or can, can follow other people at times. I don't think it means that they aren't interested in self-improvement. Right. I think that there is like a humility to type nines that they're not trying to assert themselves. They're not trying to assert their worldview on the universe. They're open to accepting whatever it is.
2: Mm, interesting. And there,
1: I do know several type nines who are quite free spirited. Yeah. And just kind of accepting of like, this is who I am. And so they can show up authentically. And sometimes I'm thinking specifically, I think some of that can be like, because they are comfortable with themselves. They have nothing to hide. They're open and humble. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking of people who show up on Instagram and just kind of like talk.
2: Mm-hmm. and They're
1: not hyper. They're not analyzing like, why am I doing what I'm doing? Yes. So the, actually one of my favorite Instagram accounts is your Enneagram coach. Uh-huh. We should have mentioned her at the beginning. We should have. But she's like a Southern lady. She's very into the Enneagram and she's a type nine. But she now she's like gotten very big. Uh-huh. And so she like has a social media manager and a graphic designer and all of the her stuff about each type is color coded. Okay. But in the olden days, she <sighs> used to just like go on a fishing trip and record in her car. Yeah. And that's very type 9 to just be like I'm showing up wherever I am. I'm not fancy. I'm not trying too hard. Yes. Yeah. And that leads me to like the brands that I associate with type 9. Like when you said you were a type 9, it suddenly clicked in my mind because Rebecca never liked wearing jeans. <laughs> like Rebecca doesn't like being uncomfortable or I st- stiff.
0: I still hate wearing jeans. My, I seriously say all the time, my number one value is comfort. Yes. It's like very Which is important why, to me.
1: Do you want to know the brand that I have chosen as a non-branding expert for type nine?
0: <laughs> I'm worried it's going to be like a sweat brand. <laughs> <laughs> Minky Couture. Oh my gosh. Yes. That is so special. Spot on. I love the fact that I am associated with Minky Couture in some small way. You want to hear my hot take on Minky Couture branding? Oh,
2: yes I'm I do. I'm
0: so happy that I have a platform where I can share this now.
1: Okay. So I'm so glad you feel liberated by this podcast that you yourself started.
0: <laughs> I know. Okay, so if you're not familiar, Minky Couture is a fancy blanket company. They were started in Utah and they have like those super soft minky fabric blankets okay and they're and super and the price expensive. point
1: is luxury
0: yes they they are super expensive but they're often if not always on sale but you can expect to spend at least a hundred dollars if not more on your blanket
2: and Rebecca, tell
1: the listeners how many blankets do you own from minky couture the limit does not exist <laughs>
0: I buy myself a new Mickey Couture blanket whenever I do something that I think merits a new Mickey Couture blanket. And let me tell you what that is giving birth. I agree 100%. Thank you. And potty training. Ooh. Which should give you an idea of how hard I think potty training is that it's up there with giving birth. It's up there with childbirth. Yikes. (laughs) So that's how I treat myself. And I have yet to meet anybody who disagrees with me that I deserve a Minky Couture blanket in those situations.
1: Yeah, I'm not going to talk you down from that. That sounds, when you put it like that, it's pretty logical. Right?
0: Okay, but people love to hate on the Minky Couture brand, like their logo and the design, because it's a little bit cutesy. It's mm. like, I should pull it up, but it's basically in like a cursive font, big M-I-N-K-Y, Minky Couture. And I don't know if there's a crown on it or if I'm thinking of Juicy Couture.
2: Mm, Could be.
0: But it's often in gold. And here's what I say I don't think they need to change a single thing. I think it's obviously working for you because you've purchased how many blankets. It's obviously working. And you know what? Like, is it the most visually pleasing logo in the world? No. But branding is about so much more than just having a logo that looks good. Is the logo memorable? Yes. Is it easily recognizable? Yes. Does it identify something about the business? Yes. Like it gives me a feeling of like lass and luxury and comfort. And like, yes, it gives me a little bit of a cheesy feeling because guess what? Buying a really ridiculously soft, really ridiculously expensive blanket is a little bit cheesy, You heard it here
1: first, folks. Aesthetically speaking, endorses Minky Couture. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I'm like, sponsor me. Send me a blanket. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, let's find a kind of blanket Rebecca doesn't already own. Oops. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, and part of their brand is
0: that for every blanket you buy, they donate a blanket to the NICU at, um, I think it's all at Primary Children's Hospital, but I could be wrong on that. But I'm like, what a great way to showcase your brand values of like, taking care of people and mm. providing something that is not like nobody needs this kind of blanket it is not necessary for survival but it does something for you emotionally yes and that's exactly what they're doing so i actually feel like it's kind of a funny non-designery thing to say like oh isn't that logo so bad and i'm like actually that logo is spot on yeah if if they wanted to reach a totally different target market could you think about adapting it and modernizing it and all those things yes maybe but like i really think it's working for them as it is and i also this is like a whole other side tangent but i don't like that we live in a world where everybody has to modernize their brand all the time interesting and i'm saying that well, a lot as, of designers
1: are making a lot of money from that right and and ultimately
0: like that's not necessarily my call. If a company comes to me and says, we want to rebrand because we're trying to do X, Y, and Z, I'm going to be like, sure, we can do that. Yeah. But like, I like that some brands look old fashioned. Yeah. Like I don't want to live in a world where every brand is just Helvetica, lowercase
1: text for everything. Mm -hmm. Like that actually is my nightmare. I was reading an article recently about i think it was like an eater article but it was talking about like trends in restaurant names oh interesting and how it was like for a while everybody had the one word right like there's a restaurant in las vegas called eat period yes oh my gosh and they were like that was really hip and then oh all of a sudden it was like two words together Uh uh-huh it was like ivy and oak Oh, yes. And it was all very, like, suggestive of, like, it it wouldn't just be, like, the two types of food we serve. It would be, like, a type of wood that could be a note in one of our signature
0: drinks. Or, like, salt and honey. Mm Mm-hmm. Where it's, like, they're food
1: items, but, like, they're additives, not the food themselves, you know. And then it was, like, then the focus was on the chef. So it was, Mm -hmm. like, you know, Stanley Tucci's, for example. I don't think he owns a restaurant, but it was, like, Stanley's place.
2: (laughs) Yes. (laughs)
0: well and it's so interesting because it's like on the one hand everything is a trend yes but that's why i'm like don't just do what is a trend and what other people are telling you to do like do what feels good to you and find out actually at my core what is my blanket company all about it's about feeling fancy when you're Mm -hmm. in your jammies watching your show at night it's really about minky couture (laughs) <laughs> Perfect. Done. Like sign, sealed, delivered. You know.
1: I'm curious. Did you have a brand that you thought was type nine?
0: I actually didn't. I was agonizing over whether my own brand was like fitting the type nine principles well enough. But I'm like, it's not that my brand has to be type nine. I was just like going back and forth on that because I think one thing that is challenging for my brand is. On the one hand, I'm trying to, like, push the status quo for businesses, like, aim higher, like, dream bigger kind of thing. And at the same time, I'm trying to say, like, I understand you. You're doing a good job. Like, this is working for you. And sometimes I feel a little bit of tension in there. And, like, both things can be true. You can be pushing your business forward and also already be doing a good job.
1: Right. I do think what you said about... Being a chameleon and being able to empathize at that level with other mm-hmm. people, I can see that as a real strength, particular in your business where you are visually representing.
0: Yes, what your
1: clients do. So I can I can see that.
0: Yeah, I went through a phase where I was almost trying to like take my own personality out of my branding. Like I was just trying yeah. to be like super neutral because I was like, my brand is kind of like I don't have a brand. It's whatever my clients' brands are. Right. And I see a lot of designers that do that. I don't think that works super well because what we know about branding is that it has to be recognizable. Yeah. And so the more that I have just leaned into like the pink and orange and flowers and like editorial type styles, like the more recognizable my brand is. And I, this is not like an official metric by any means, but I do think it's really interesting. I get people all the time messaging me stuff like, oh, this is totally Rebecca Peterson's studio. Yeah. Even like we went and bought flowers at Home Depot and I was like, oh, these are pretty. They're like zinnias that were like orange, red, yellow. And Cobb was like, oh, that's very Rebecca Peterson's studio. <laughs> I'm like, thank you. But that happens to my clients too.
2: Like yeah. my
0: client Alice, she was like, people send me screenshots like, oh, look at this kitchen. It's cozy baby sleep. That's you know? so cute. I like that. Yeah. So I always think that that's a good way to know if your brand is recognizable. And the other thing that I tell people is if your name wasn't on your Instagram posts, would people still know that it was you? Yeah. I actually don't really put like my at name on my posts because I think A, visually it doesn't look as good. And B, I'm like, it doesn't need to be there. My branding is so strong. Nobody would look at that and be like, who who made that post? You know? Anyway, I can't remember if that Answered your original question. No, I
1: think that's a good point. Do you have any brands that you feel like are type nine? Other than Minky Couture, which I nailed.
0: Seriously, it's a really, I'm literally looking at my Minky Couture blanket right now. I'm just like, I love you.
1: (laughs) I remember when I came to visit you in Dallas, it was like every person had their own (laughs) fuzzy blanket at all times, including me, the house guest. Well, I was going to say because comfort
0: is so important to me. It's also super important to me that anyone who comes to my house is comfortable. Yep. Because I hate it when I go to someone's house and their house is too cold and my feet are cold the whole time.
1: Oh, yes. I felt that.
0: Or like you're sitting on the couch and you're like, I just would be so much more comfortable if I had a blanket. Like I just, I want a blanket on my lap at all times. (laughs) And so that's what I have to provide for my house guests.
1: It worked. It really, it really sold me, even though it was in Dallas in the middle of July. <laughs> I was like, I'm so glad I have this blanket to just seal in the moisture.
0: Oh my gosh, especially with my MacBook on my lap. I'm like, this cannot be good for my womb.
1: It is so hot under there. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah, it's getting real hot. Just potting myself. Okay, I'm trying to think if I had anything else to say about the enneagram types.
0: I feel like we said too many positive things about type 9s. You have to say some negative things.
1: Some negative things. Yeah. I feel like we said some negative things like they can okay. be they can be really hard to know. Yeah. Like I have a close friend who is a type 9, but I honestly I could not tell you what she actually thinks or believes. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. like a lot of us a lot of us have that friend where it's like they are whoever they're dating. Yes. Yeah. And that's not – like, people do that for other reasons, right? Right. But that can be a type 9, too. Like, oh, this person is, like, unpredictable, mm-hmm. and what do they actually value? Are they just yes. whoever they're with?
0: Yes. Yeah, I look so back at different spaces in my life, and I'm like, did I really enjoy doing that? Like, I can't believe that I was the person that enjoyed, like, in college. And I'm like, I went out so – like, I was just out and about. Yeah. All the time, I'm like, did I really enjoy that, or was it just because that's like what everybody was doing? It's like so that's what I did. you did.
1: Yeah, I can officially say I did enjoy that. I thought that was great. I would love, as like an adult married with a child, I would love to like throw a house party where we just like played party in the USA and Ugh. randos came into my house and danced. Like that would get that would give me a great amount of joy. But no I, one would do it. People don't do that anymore. I know. I would like that
0: if I was the one throwing the party. Like, there's, like, specific contingencies. Like, I have no desire as a random person to go to a random person's house and have a dance party. But if I was hosting it, like, I'm remembering about some of the parties that you and Caitlin threw at BYU. (laughs) Do you remember when you took the lids from Cafe Rio and taped them to the walls? Oh, yeah. That was fun.
1: (laughs) Our whole apartment was, like, covered in tinfoil, so it was all really shiny.
0: Yes, it was like the poor man's disco party. (laughs)
1: I just remember that we had to go to Cafe Rio and steal so many lids. Oh my gosh. We're like, yeah, can I have a sweet pork salad and also 25 lids?
0: Did you know?
1: And also 50 for her. (laughs) Did you know
0: that one of our siblings, who I'm not going to name, used to go to Cafe Rio and take receipts out of the garbage and scan them to get points on the Cafe Rio app?
1: I know exactly who this is. (laughs) You don't have to tell me. Yes. Yep. Nailed it. Oh my gosh. I'm like, well, I guess technically
0: that's fine.
1: (laughs) I guess that's not really theft.
2: (laughs) One of
0: Cobb's core traits, whatever you want to call it, is that when we go to Panda Express, he has to fill out the survey because he has to get the free entree item. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That is
1: toxic trait.
0: Yes, that's his, have you seen that trend on TikTok, your beige flag?
1: Your beige flag, I have not seen this.
0: Yes, it's like random things that your significant other does that's like, neither good nor bad, it's just beige. Yeah. (laughs) That would 100% be Cobbs. If there's any kind of like, like he has a pretty strong, like, is this worth my time?
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, I was going to say the words that he uses, he always says, I have a very strong value mindset.
2: Hmm. So
0: like he'll eat at McDonald's, but only if he gets the absolute cheapest thing, because if he doesn't, then it's not good value. Interesting. Right? Like crappy food for a really cheap price is good value. Crappy food for a kind of okay price is not good value. To me, that sounds just like I'm I'm a utilitarian. A little bit. Yeah. It's like, because he loves food. This is like, yeah. maybe we should even save, save this, but he loves food. He <laughs> just doesn't want to overspend on it. Yeah. Which, okay, this is a good wrap up because- This is a good wrap up. Our next episode, F is, F is for food, and we're going to talk about food branding and restaurants, and I have so food many blogs, things to say. cookbooks. Yes. Menu
1: design. Ooh. So- I just want to say, aesthetically speaking, we're pretty ambitious. We're doing a podcast about something that is not very auditory, audible. (laughs) And then we've also done brands for musicians. Yes. Musicians, singular, our sister Caroline. And now Mm -hmm. we're going to do food, which you cannot taste in the
0: podcast. Yes. Yes. I do have a friend who's a food photographer. who have some interesting insights from her. Actually, crazy stats that I will share with you. But I'm really excited for this episode. I think it's going to be really fun.
1: I also consider myself a food photographer because ever since I got portrait <laughs> mode, <laughs> I can make my food look so good if I just get close enough to it with my phone.
0: I cannot be stopped. Oh my gosh, that's so funny.
1: Okay, I think that's enough of a little teaser. Yeah, this is going to be so fun. Okay, thank um, you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for joining. I I legitimately am curious If you are in the Enneagram world, Mm -hmm. I'm curious if you think we are right or wrong about any of the types. And if you identify with one of the types, I would love to know who it is, even if you leave us an anonymous comment. I would find that very interesting.
0: Yes. Also, this is the part of the show where I shamelessly ask for reviews because I'm starting to feel bad. (laughs)
1: only let's set set a goal if we get a certain number of reviews you get another Mickey couture blanket (laughs) yes
0: oh my goodness the only reason i feel bad is because allison our podcast manager posted about some of her other clients who also just launched their podcasts and they have like dozens of reviews and they clearly
1: couldn't just be better than us
0: no there's no way so if you are listening to this Will you please write us a nice review? If you can't write us a nice review, just don't bother doing it at all, okay? But if you
1: have (laughs) it in your heart
0: to do a nice one, that would be really great. Or if there's something that you you would like to hear or could be improved, I honestly would be open to that feedback.
1: I feel like you can write us any review you want, but if it's mean, it better be one word. Stupid. (laughs) Ugly. (laughs) (laughs) oh oh okay. my gosh i think that's all from us this week stay tuned for f is for food
0: okie dokie
1: thanks for joining us today we hope you enjoyed listening to aesthetically speaking
0: if you want to support the podcast please leave us a nice review or connect with us on instagram at
2: rebecca peterson studio